Anastasia Komatova is a sports science lecturer who looks at um, all different kinds of sport and has recently been working on different aspects to do with martial arts and gender and participation and inclusion, safety. So good morning, Anastasia. How are you doing? Morning. Very well. How are you? Um, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. So, so you, um, you're uh, at the University of Brighton and you've researched all different issues in sports. What brings you to oh, martial right. arts? Uh, yeah, um, just to clarify, it's not the sports science lecture, it's the uh, sport, just lecturing sport. Uh, nothing to do with sports science, to be honest. Uh, okay. But my background is in sports psychology, so, I, uh, so that's it. Um, yes, basically, I started um, back to my students' years. My research had nothing to do with martial arts. I've never done any martial arts myself. Um, my research was mainly about cultural aspects of sports and how people from different cultural backgrounds communicate with each other in, in uh, sport teams. So that was my, uh, my thing to do. Mm -hmm. And then, um, well, two things really happened. First, I moved to Eastbourne and I went to the, um, to the workshop that a couple of colleagues were organizing here at the University of Brighton, Chris Matthews and Alex Channon. And they were talking about martial arts. And one of the presenters there was a boxing, local boxing coach from local boxing, uh, Eastbourne Boxing Club. And he was just telling how, how they basically create, trying to create this very inclusive environment in the boxing club where people with you know uh, different backgrounds disabilities abilities um, um lgbt community anyone can be welcomed mm -hmm. and i thought this is so refreshing finally coaches actually talk about this and i really really liked it and i just came to him after uh, the presentation and i said well, um, my background in, uh, is in psychology. Is there anything I can do for your club to help? And they got actually quite excited about it. So then I spent uh, a few years at the club, uh, voluntary, uh, just helping them with some sort of mental preparation, group team cohesion mm -hmm. um, for a competition. So that was kind of the first path. And the second one was a couple of years ago when I met people from um international judo union mm -hmm. and they were quite interested why um so many girls cannot maintain the participation in judo and they drop out okay. and we talked a lot about it and they said well we do have a conference each year if you would like to investigate this a little bit more uh, then you can present and tell us what can we do better so that was okay. the second path so you so you've worked you've you've done various work around boxing and some around so you've done around a boxing gym one specific gym and and then yeah, and then yeah. is it judo in general and bo a boxing gym in particular was is that the kind of structure of it like uh, yeah yeah pretty much yeah so I was just hanging in the boxing club for a couple of years really and that was just such a unique experience because i knew nothing about boxing except you know i watched rocky movies and i enjoy them <laughs> and and that was really it and obviously uh, vladimir and vitaly klitschko you know every ukrainian person knows them so that was my kind of knowledge and i just spent yeah um i think that was about three times a week i would just go there and just see if i can do something because the coaches were excited but the but the boxers were not <laughs> okay 
Yeah, because, you know, there is a lot of stigma, I guess, um, in uh, around sports psychology and mental preparation in, in sport and particularly for boxers. Many of them think, well, I don't really know. Uh, I don't really want to work with anyone because um, I'm not weak mentally. I'm all right. I don't need anything. Okay. So, so with, the, with the boxing, you... You kind of got from the sounds of it. It, it expand your, your involvement expanded from making an an inclusive boxing gym environment to working with competitive fighters around the, the their mental and psychological preparation. Is would that? Is that what I happened? didn't have to do anything with the inclusivity, to be honest, because okay. that was the coach's job, and um, uh, Chris Matthews and Alex Shannon did uh, a couple of well, some things with that area. So that wasn't really me. Yeah. I mainly, yeah, um, talked to coaches about how they work, um, and mainly with the athletes as well, getting okay. them uh, ready for competitions. So what are the, what are the headlines and what did you, what did you walk into and see and what kind of suggestions or contributions did you as a psychologist, uh, make? Well, that was just very unique because the main thing was just to fit in really for, for the boxers to take me as one of, you know, them, mm. because again, I've never done anything, uh, like this before. So, um, I spent a couple of sessions just doing nothing just being there and that's what mainly um consultants that mm -hmm. they do they just there to see maybe if anyone needs anything mm -hmm. but then i i thought you know if i'm there i might as well train a little bit so i started you know very very simple training mm -hmm. um and i think that helped a lot because at least they they saw that well well she does something and uh, obviously I, I was doing it horribly I am rubbish at it. But I was doing something and then, you know, they started making jokes about me, how bad I am. Um, and I think that helped. And then I got injured and I was so proud of myself. Oh my God, my injury, my first injury. And, and that helped as well because they thought, well, you know, we can actually talk to her. She's there and she's all right. So the boundaries were kind of broken down because of your participation and... I think so, yeah. But then also there was uh, the main person I worked with was the captain of the club. Yeah. And because he was very excited to work with me. He was, he was a student, um, not mine, mm. but he, uh, he knew about sports psychology and what it can do. So he was very open-minded. And I think people saw him talking to me all the time and they accepted that is okay 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 so what did 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 you manage to um did you manage to contribute to the preparation of of competitive boxers well i hope so yeah i did um i hope that was a useful uh, useful um contribution from my side and yeah we went to to the national championships and i think we reached the semi-finals and that was great so were you recommending anything different to what they had already been doing or what was the nature of your your sort of suggestions your advice and your input i wouldn't say that was radically different the thing is that yes coaches very often do um psychology work and that's what they should be doing but sometimes it's nice just to have a new person to kind of see it from a slightly different background okay and just to give a slightly more um maybe like a new new type of advice and I also saw that um, club captain I saw him uh, once a week outside the, the club 
in my office, just um, like a one-on-one -on -one session. And I think that helped as well, just okay. to rationalize the feelings and just to talk through some things, to have clearer goals and understanding of what is going on. Okay, so you, so as an observer, then you can you can you can contribute with your kind of view of the situation. You can comment on what you think people's maybe psychological hurdles are, or their obstacles, or or their strengths, maybe. Yes, and actually, being an observer who is not coming from this background, I think can be beneficial because I asked many silly questions. Okay. Uh, but I think for them to explain those questions and to explain the answers actually made them think well yeah why is it like this why are we doing this like this okay so I, th I think that helps obviously you know i think i think it's always hard to get into a sport that you've never done before and people think well what does she know about it or mm -hmm. uh but it can be a benefit okay and so i mean switching to judo for a minute then yeah. i mean what what how did you engage with the question of of why uh, large numbers of female judo practitioners didn't stick with the sport for long or is it beyond a certain age or is it is it beyond a certain rank or age or both what what's That's mainly focusing on teenage girls and to be honest there is so much research in this area um, and this topic so mm -hmm. i I was thinking, how can I find something new? Because again, so many people talked about it. It's not a secret why girls drop out from sport, especially when they are teenagers. And it's not only girls, boys drop out as well. So, you know, during mm -hmm. this teenage times, you go through changes in your uh, mentality, in your body as well. And, and you, you know, have different priorities. So you choose you know, life as opposed yeah. to sport very often. Yeah. So that's not a secret. So I thought, what well, can I actually find, uh, find out something new? And I thought I will look through it as a relationship with coaches. Maybe okay. there is something that coaches can do to yeah. make people stay. So I didn't focus on any particular age in my research. I interviewed as many people as I could. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, well, why only Judah? I will try to interview as many people from other combat sports as possible because there's gotta be some sort of connection there. Okay. So I, I interviewed people from BJJ and boxing, um, karate, so on. So you were looking for uh, issues in the, in the, in the coach, a uh, competitor relationship that could maybe foster continuation at a time when we want to choose life rather than discipline. Um, and what did, what continuities did you find across the people who maybe dropped out or didn't drop out? I guess it's hard to interview people who dropped out because they're not at the club anymore, are they? They're not. Yes, yes. And I did ask a few people, you know, if, if there is anyone you know who dropped out already, just um give me their numbers uh that didn't work very well so uh, i still appeal to people if you know somebody who dropped out just like me know i will interview them um yes but many people who i interviewed they were thinking it well they thought about dropout before so okay. they could reflect on it or they could reflect on um people that they know they trained with and they don't anymore mm -hmm. so what kind of are there differences between a, um, a, 
judo, the reasons why a judo player might quit or a karateka or a jiu-jitsu person or, or, or I guess any other teenage sports um, uh, competitor. Are there, are, are, there diff are there unique differences and are there continuities? I don't think there are any difference, to be honest. And um, it's probably applicable to the sports outside combat sports as well. But I think that unique, there is a unique relationship between coaches and athletes in combat sports because it, of the proximity, hmm. you know, how close people are uh, physically and mentally, and also how much trust you get, you um, in kind of put into your coach because. Hmm that will hurt you you know a lot if you don't trust your coach or something goes wrong you really need to trust so i guess your question is about like why people quit well I, I, um well is it i guess i could rephrase the question and ask a more precise one so like i've done stuff from going to the gym to lift weights to i've trained competitive martial arts stars. I never really competed. I mean, I've done some competitions, but I, I would just go as something to do. It's like, it's what I did. It's like I did Taekwondo, not as a competitor, but just everyone else was competing, but I couldn't be bothered to have that level of commitment. And I'm wondering, is there a, is there a type of, there's that type of, of quitting, which is like you accidentally quit, where you kind of go, oh, I can't, I'm a bit achy, I, I'm, I'll go next time. And then next time, because you go, oh, well, I'm a bit busy, I'll go next time. And then all of a sudden you find that you haven't done the thing that you still think you are doing. You haven't done it for three months. You're like, shit, I, I don't know if I could do this. Because that happens with me regularly with things. When I was younger, now I realize life is short. Or do people to go, just, no, I'm done, I, I can't. What did you find most common? Was it a kind of gradual rusting and kind of like, oh, next time I'm a bit tired today or a bit, or did people go, I can't deal with this, I'm, I'm, I'm out? Well, I think it's, the answer is kind of in between. Um, the, 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 you know, this project actually then turned out to be something completely different, not something that I anticipated at the beginning, but I guess I'll get back to it later. Mm. And basically, yes, the reason I found out why, why girls quit is very often uh, that relationship changes, the dynamic changes between um, them and their coaches and mm. them and the males that they train with. And okay. suddenly there is, um, yeah, all of those body changes going on with girls and uh coaches some of the coaches that don't really know how to deal with that for example they don't even provide sometimes um changing facilities for females okay or there are um no kind of uh, understanding of the physiology physiology of uh, females and when they have periods and how they might suffer uh, mentally or physically um and coaches think that well um that um when a girl ha uh, has her period she's faking that she's not feeling well okay um and the girls can't really train properly and they don't feel well um and then yeah reasons like this and then there is at some point the trust is lost okay. between the coaches and athletes uh some uh, girls were telling me that coaches would just take their phones to check like who texts them huh. and read them out loud you know the text from the boyfriends and make fun of them okay and then you think like well i don't really you know i want to yeah want to do yeah. that yeah 
So would that mean, would that imply that um, either a female coach or a, a, a sensitive and educated male coach, that they're, they're going to have a better retention rate of their, of their students? Well, as you know, in the research, we can't really, especially in qualitative, we can't really generalize that. And I cannot say, yeah, definitely just female coaches, that's the way to go. Uh, no, just, you know, don't, I think important thing is, yeah, just be educated. Mm -hmm. uh, but also for girls to, you know, explain how they feel and um, maybe not even being afraid to say because there is so much stigma about, you know, our bodies and what, uh, yeah. what's wrong or what's not wrong. Um, yeah, but that's why I looked at this problem through the coach's kind of perspective because I wanted um, them to tell me, you know, if they know about those things. And very often they do. Mm. But we just... I think very often just don't know how to talk about things like that. Yeah, I guess I wonder if, I mean, it's, it, if, we, if culturally we are much more direct and explicit about what we're feeling, what is happening to us in our body, but yeah. there's so much kind of euphemism that, that maybe if you, if you don't know, you never know. Like, you know, a man might never know what the euphemisms mean even still today so but i mean that how do you how do you change that i mean that could be i'm just trying to imagine how you could possibly yeah, no this is a very good point because i interviewed one of the female coaches and she was afraid to say out loud the word period she would just whisper it to me really? uh, and that's woman to woman you know yeah. so um yeah and the thing is that my research, it started in the UK, but then I had an access for some international athletes. And mm -hmm. I interviewed a couple in, um, as well, a few athletes and coaches from more Eastern Europe. Yeah. And this is when the problem starts. Uh, because at least in the UK, yes, you know, some, it is hard to talk about some stuff, mm -hmm. but people still a little bit more open in the communication. Whilst, if, you know, if you go more to the East, it's a little bit like, you know, don't even say it out loud. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, that's it's a funny thing because surely you could. Yeah, I mean, I can't solve this problem. I'm just—it's the first time it's. I know, I, I've, it's so I've never, but like, it's, like it's the first time I've thought about that. Like, wow, yeah, I mean, uh, there are such profound biological differences. And I guess that's all, that's all massively compounded at puberty and going through puberty and all of those mm -hmm. teenage years. Especially if you think about um, the color of your gear. Many girls told me that when they are on periods and they need to go and train and the gear is white, mm. all they could think about is whether they leaked or not. Yeah. And it's so embarrassing yeah. if they do. I mean, uh, it's, it's, odd that, it's odd that you couldn't just say, well, I, I'm not training this week. This is this is my week off. <laughs> well, you, you, I guess you can, but you still want to train sometimes. Yeah, like, yeah, you still yeah. want to be there, and for those, especially professional athletes, this is all they do. So they, um, yeah, yeah. You didn't? Did you look at any? I mean, did you bump into any issues around like you know teenage boys and their participation as well? Because I mean, what are the, obviously the uh, girls have more obviously physical and biological reasons that might put huge amounts of, of pressure on their continuing participation in, in sports, especially in an unsympathetic environment. 
boys have physiological changes too and they also have psychological changes right around in their teenage years i mean did you did you did you look at any of those issues or no no i um because i didn't really want to go to road Mm. Uh, maybe that's something for the future definitely because there is not much research and coach-athlete relationship with combat sports so I'm trying mm. to get there a little bit more but I, I started looking into a different area uh, of safe safeguarding actually yeah and that's what my research turned out to be so it started with this girls retention in judo and then yeah. it turned out to be a safeguarding research because I find out so many cases of um, maltreatment yeah um, and I thought, Jesus, you know, you kind of, I think I, li I, I, I probably lived in this bubble that, you know, yeah, something can happen, but it's not as common and we're doing great. No, we're not. Plenty of things are going on. And again, the most common kind of safeguarding issues that, that you encounter. So is this across all, several types of sport? Was it combat? Yeah, sport? Was yeah. It just combat sports. But across combat sports, you, you've interviewed people, you've interviewed yeah. uh, teenagers and you coaches and competitors and, and uh, what, what are the most regular recurring kinds of like things that you would say that's an issue? That's a, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, it's mainly it's about crossing the boundaries like those, you know, taking somebody's phone and reading, you know, the texts or um, the more again, more to the to the east of Europe, it was more about the uh, some sort of physical punishment, okay. lots of beating children, uh, lots of, uh, yeah, you have to break them mentally. All right. Otherwise, they won't make it. Okay. Um, and yeah, the cases of, you know, um, kind of humiliation, like if you're a girl, that's, that means nothing. If you win championships, well, you know, you're a woman, so it counts for nothing. Hmm. Or, um, um, yeah, some sort of inappropriate relationships mm -hmm. as of, you know, asking them inappropriate questions or hmm. wanting to have some sort of relationship. Um, that was not with, uh, well, not necessarily with teenagers. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, that could be. That could yeah, be. That, that's uh, illegal, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, there's lots that I could ask about that. I mean, uh, what kind of, in, in terms of different combat sports, what kind of regulation and what kind of safeguarding do we, do we find? Is, are certain things mandatory? Are certain things explicitly uh, forbidden by certain bodies or I mean that's the problem there are so many bodies and organizations and obviously you have if you are an Olympic sport you have to uh, fulfill some some sort of safeguarding criteria but if you're just a club hmm. um, it's quite tough to you know to maintain this safeguarding and to know what is I mean, for athletes to know what is wrong, what is right. Yeah. Um, and again, in the UK, yes, at least there are some safeguarding committees. And actually, based on the results of this research, I um, joined Safeguarding for England Boxing because I thought, you know, I have to do something to help. Mm -hmm. um, but again, so many organizations and federations. And I, was, I didn't do much investigation, particularly what safeguarding are there. Hmm. But I click through some, some of the uh, websites and usually when you have, um, you don't really have any information about safeguarding there. Mm -hmm. You have information about ethics sometimes and if you do, it's all connected to doping. Okay. So I'm just thinking, um, 
uh, about, I was thinking about everyday sexism as well, you know, the, so, 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 because I'm thinking two things. So I'm thinking back to the first thing that you said about your, your kind of way into the boxing community involved jokes and a little bit of like ridicule and a little bit of banter, mm -hmm. right? We use that word. Um, what did Donald Trump call his uh, <laughs> locker room banter? So you, call, you know, yeah. so we, on the one hand, we've got that, which is, which is awful in, in the extreme. But at the same time as that, I remember reading by the, 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 the Slovenian psychoanalytic theory, Slavoj Žižek, uh, and he said that sharing, being able to share really offensive jokes is, a, is, a, is one of the kind of, uh, markers of inclusion or the constitution of a group a shared thing so like you're saying so you're in a boxing gym and I'm guessing that some of the initial comments about your abilities and about who you were were probably very sexist but they were also relationship forming because if you decide to laugh or if you laugh spontaneously because it's so preposterous then all of a sudden that that sexist joke it's not like an it's not a terrible thing it's, well, it's, it's, not, honest, it's not inherently, but yes, inherently, yeah. it's a transgression, but it's also like a, can we be friends sort of a, I mean, I, 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 I totally, got you ground I, here, but. No, 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 I, totally, I totally, totally understand it and I reflected um, about it myself and uh, I never, never experienced any sexist jokes myself, so okay. I would really you know want to uh to to uh clarify that uh, because the club was very inclusive for females okay. and plenty of female athletes there so it's you know all those all that banter was never um related to gender but yeah to the abilities mm -hmm. um and i liked it mm -hmm. yeah, exactly as you say uh the minute i received you know um a joke like this a comment on my abilities i thought oh Oh, oh, sounds like I am getting in. <laughs> Great news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that, that's fine. Um, I know it can be quite difficult. There's a little bit of cognitive dissonance in here going on, isn't it? When I, when I talked about this experience at one of the conferences and I told how, you know, they made jokes and things like that, and I saw some people in the audience were like, oh, I don't <laughs> Yeah. People making jokes about your abilities. Yeah, and I thought I actually quite liked it. I thought, you know, well, first of all, they were absolutely correct, and secondly, yeah, it made me feel like they accepted me. So, um, yeah, it is a tough one. Yeah, there is a difference between a joke like this, and then when they actually say um, to a boy, they say, "Well, if you, you know, if you train very badly again, you're going to be training with girls," mm. or that you know go and do some push-ups some uh, women push-ups you know like okay. even yeah it's, yeah third lines i know it's 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 quite tough it took i mean you need to do a quite a complex reflection on the situation on the power dynamics or on if someone's being victimized or if it's if it is a sort of socially bonding thing that you know like uh, most jokes have have some nastiness in them that's what that's where mm -hmm. the, the humor is. But um, yeah, I mean, this is the, cl the classic arguments against political correctness, isn't it? It's like, you know, like, you know, kill joy, was it feminist kill joy kind of idea? Yeah. But like, because it's, but it's more complicated than that. So. Yeah, I guess, um, I guess maybe the difference is when, if you don't like the joke and you say, don't say it again, hmm. and they keep doing that, that's the problem. And if they don't, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the what what are your current projects? I mean, where are you in your in your research and publishing? And uh, what, what, uh, where am I in my publishing? Thank you for reminding me how much <laughs> behind I am in my publishing. Uh, yeah, well, I'm trying to you know find some time to actually publish this study. Hmm. Um, yeah, because it's been some time since I collected the data, but you know, in academia, there is suddenly there is no time. So hopefully, I will. Um, Publish that soon, and the plan is to collect substantially more data from mm -hmm. other countries. Especially, well, interestingly, actually, when I was interviewing people, um, there were a couple of people from uh, from Russia, from uh, Caucasus region, you know, like mm -hmm. Dagestan, Chechnya, these kind of countries, and there it's very patriarchal region, very mm -hmm. much. But now there is at the next Olympics, well, next year, uh, there will be for the first time mixed judo event, right? Okay. And those countries who are usually very, very good in judo, they're very male dominant. Mm -hmm. Now they have suddenly realized, well, there is another uh, medal opportunity here. We need to actually get girls. Okay. So that will be interesting to find out, you know, how that changed the perception and, mm. um, and so is how... Your, is your data gathering normally uh, interviews that you record and analyze or is that? Is yeah, that... Either, either that or focus groups. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what about, do you, do you do kind of ethnographic hanging out in clubs and, you know, that kind of hanging around that an ethnographer? Uh, not anymore, to be honest, because it's so time consuming. Yeah. And there is, you know, with other commitments and jobs, I just can't really, I don't really have time unless I get maybe a good grant and mm. buy myself out of teaching for, or get a PhD student. Okay. And are you still, do you still visit the same boxing club or, or was that just a short oh, thing? I am in touch. I am in touch. <laughs> but I, again, I just can't really afford to get there and spend time because of other commitments. Mm. Um, I'm trying to get to let them know that if they need something, I can definitely see people individually. It's not a problem, mm. but I just can't really go regularly and just be there. I guess none of us can at the moment. So, I mean, <laughs> have you have you encountered any, uh, you know, as a, I guess as a psychologist and as someone who's, who's researching these, these clubs and these communities and these individuals, uh, what what have you encountered that might have changed since lockdown, since the pandemic really took a hold? Have you have you have you had any dealings with people with um, you know try, different ways of trying to cope, different ways of trying to continue, or not? Uh, not really, no, because I'm just um, yeah. I guess everyone is trying to focus as much as they can on what they do, and, and that's it. I think, well, actually, the um, coaches in the club, they do Zoom sessions, so that's very good. I think yeah. many many people do Zoom training at the moment, so, yeah. Yeah, some, some things are more amenable to that than others. I guess, you know, things like boxing and stuff is easier than Brazilian jiu-jitsu, isn't it? Um, oh, yes, yes. At least you can do shadow boxing as opposed to, you know, show your invisible partner. Uh, oh, well, your arms. You're not really doing anything. <laughs> yeah, you can win all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Anastasia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Really to you. you know, it's so nice to talk about your research. 
Yeah, great. Finally, somebody listens. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks.